You're listening to audio from Redemption Church of Houston. We are a people who believe that Jesus has invited everyone into his radically inclusive, world-altering way of love. That means that when we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or in homes throughout the week, you are welcome here. Regardless of your social status, gender, race, sexual orientation, or politics, we want you to fully and actually join, grow, worship, and serve with us. Whoever you are, whatever you've done, Jesus invites you into his radical love just the way you are. And so do we. Good morning, Redemption. (laughs) Um, If you're new here, my name is Jordan, and I am the preacher in residence here at Redemption Church, um, which is just a fancy way of saying that I preach on Sundays sometimes here. Um, I'm so grateful to be here this morning, and I'm grateful that y'all are here, that y'all have... um, bared the storm that's outside. I feel like it's just been a crazy week. I feel like weather makes things crazy. I work at a, um, a school where there's a really big emphasis on outside play and playing outside. And so weeks where there's like a lot of rain just make the entire week insane at school. Um, we had, we have like a big pit where kids go and like they'll play soccer or they play kickball or whatever. But when it rains a lot, it fills up and it rains so much this week that the entire thing, it's probably 50 yards across, 30 yards wide was was full of like two feet of water. And we had a kindergartner who got picked up and her mom told me she picked her up and saw her and she was like in big basketball shorts and like an oversized polo t-shirt like none of which were hers and she was like what happened and she was like mom I did cannonballs today so it's just kind of been I feel like that kind of week um and I think weather can do that I have felt that I got like a stomach bug in the middle of the week and then some kids in my class got it. I heard that um, two of them were at the school's concert Friday night, and one of them projectile vomited on the other one. Um, and so that just feels like the vibes right now is a little crazy. Weather's crazy. It's the end of the school year for a lot of us. Um, and I'm grateful that y'all are here um, despite all of it. I'm grateful to be here despite all of it. Um, and I'm also grateful to be here and excited to be here um, because it's Mother's Day. And first and foremost, I'm glad to be here on Mother's Day because that means that Brandon does not have to preach on Mother's Day, which means that um, Gabby gets to have a husband on Mother's Day and a husband at home to be there and celebrate her. And there's just so much sacrifice that the spouses of pastors experience that are very unseen. It's very unnoticed. I interned here from 2019 to 20. 21, a small internship. It was like such a fraction of the hours and the effort that people fully on staff experience all the time. And even with that small fraction, I could see and like I witnessed the sacrifice that Kendrick as my spouse had to make because I was here in working in certain times. And so um, I just want to take like just a quick moment, like thank you so much to every spouse who uh, who's, who's sp- every spouse of someone who works here, um, you sacrifice a lot so that we get to receive the giftings of your partner. Um, and then thank you, like, retroactively 
to the spouses who have been on staff previously, right? Like, thank you, Kim McCoy. Thank you, Amanda Parrish. Thank you, Kat Haskew, um, for how much of a sacrifice y'all made in allowing us to receive the teachings and the giftings of your partner. And we thank you, Gabby, so much for for that as well. Um, And the second reason why I'm thankful and grateful to be here on Mother's Day is because I am myself um, a self-proclaimed really, really big mama's girl. And so um, I'm just excited. It feels like a blessing to be able to be here on that morning. Um, I'm going to read and start with the scripture just one more time. Uh, The whole purpose of my sermon this morning is to give the exact message that this scripture is already saying. So I want to start with it, and I want us just to hear it one more time. So the scripture is Isaiah 54, 10. These are the Lord's words. For the mountains may depart, and the hills be removed. But my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed from you, says the Lord who has compassion. So the whole point of my sermon this morning is to deliver this message of unending, constant, desperate love that God has for us. Mother's Day has, I think, a very complicated feeling for a lot of us here. Um, I think we want to celebrate motherhood. We want to celebrate mothers. I am a mama's girl. I want to celebrate my mom's. We want to celebrate the fact that mothers serve the least and the smallest and the most vulnerable of the people in in our world. That's something to celebrate. Um, But there's also so much heaviness, and there can be a lot of triggers for so many of us on this day uh, as well. Um, If you have a strained relationship with your own mom, it could just bring up a lot of heartache. Um, And what is unfortunately a story for many of us is like this journey of trying to navigate um, fertility. Right? Many of us have sought the position of being a mother, uh, and through that have suffered uh, deep loss on that journey. Um, I, too, have complicated feelings about Mother's Day because of so many of those things. Um, I have feelings of celebration and love towards my own mothers. My like closest friends in life right now are like just became pregnant or are, be, are about to have a child. Like, I want to celebrate and champion those mothers in my life, but I must acknowledge that I also have feelings of loss and sadness and longing for, like, my own story right now. And so while I'm in a space of complicated feelings on Mother's Day, what is clear to me and what I do know is that I'm not alone in those feelings and that I'm, in fact, joined with the God of the universe in complicated feelings about motherhood. And what I want to spend this morning doing this Mother's Day is reminding ourselves and revealing to ourselves that God, to us, is this ultimate mother. Ooh, spooky, I know. She said God in female form. Um, That's kind of scary. (laughs) Um, But just like give me the next like 20 to 25 minutes. I did say 20 to 25 minutes. I'm making it snappy this morning. Um, And in that time, I encourage us, let's just be gentle and let's be curious in our faith. And let's just seek to like broaden our view of God in order to see her. Ooh, I did it again. I said she. 
I said her. But in order to seek God and find God in like a more robust way. So in order for us to effectively do this, and to effectively talk about God really ever, but certainly this morning, um, I want to take a moment. What we have to do is have a small conversation about just like language in general. And so language in its like broadest sense is really just like sounds that just kind of like refer to things. That's kind of all that it is, right? It's kind of amazing that we as humans have taken sound and noise and made it really intricate and complicated in order to effectively communicate complex things. Um, and so like for like a little practice experiment, let's, let's say I say the word chair and all of you think about a chair in your brain. I'm confident because I know everyone in here knows what a chair is, will picture a chair in their head. However, what is probably also happening is that everyone in here is probably picturing a different chair. It's probably a little different from one another. And so, in order for me to effectively describe a specific chair, I cannot just say chair, right? The word chair is limited in its ability to describe something perfectly. So what we then can do is like we can add adjectives. That's how, also how language works. We can add adjectives. We then can say the big chair. Then we can add another adjective, right? We can say the big blue chair, right? Then we can add like another adjective. We can describe the material it's made out of. We can describe its dimensions. We can describe its shape, right? We can keep continually describing aspects about this chair. And then eventually, because this chair is a finite object, we can fully and completely use language to describe it. We can get to a place where we are all picturing and knowing the exact same chair, okay? But the tricky part with language is when we are now trying to describe something that is both infinite, it is now not finite, and it's also transcendent. It is not necessarily, it's, not, it's in this world, but it's also not in this world, right? That is who God is. And so even with a finite object, we had to use many, many words to accurately capture and accurately describe it. So now when we're talking about God, we're attempting to use words, finite words, that reflect our world in order to describe something that's otherworldly, that's divine, that's divinity itself, and so we must recognize that we can never accurately capture and describe God with our human words. We have to recognize that. But we also have to recognize that we can do our best. That language is this really cool and beautiful way that God allows us to use our human faculties to somehow interact with God. And so what we end up doing is relying on things like stories what scripture does it shows us stories and in those stories language can reveal who God is to us right we can use different adjectives and what we can also do what we end up relying on a lot is metaphors in our language in order to describe who God is we see that played out all of the time in scripture right God um, for example God is referred repeatedly to as a shepherd Psalm 23, like one of the, the most um, famous, most well-used psalms, certainly in like American Protestantism, is Psalm 23. And it starts with, the Lord is my shepherd, right? I shall not want. The whole psalm is a metaphor of God as a shepherd 
who is like, it's beautiful. God is leading and guiding and caring, being intentional, knowing every last one of us. And we can read that. And in that, we know God is not actually a shepherd. God doesn't own actual physical sheep in a pasture somewhere. But we can hear that and know, oh, wow, this is how we can relate to God. I'm the sheep and God's the shepherd and how does God, like we can use that metaphor. No, God isn't a shepherd, but also know, wow, this really reveals to me who God is. We also see that like with uh, God is a rock. Another example is God is a rock. We see that throughout scripture, right? The Lord is my rock my fortress. But God is not actually a rock. We know that. We do not worship like mineral material. We know that. But in that metaphor, something of who God is is revealed to us. And so it's good. We see this all the time. God is a mountain. God's a potter. God is a judge. God is a shield. God is in fact none of those things. But We use metaphors like this to better understand aspects of God in order for us to know who God is and for us to have relationship with God. Language is limited and finite when trying to capture the divine, but it really is like a beautiful and wonderful example of how God and God's characteristics interact and are reflected in our world today. And so, when we hear God the Father, God is Father, We're very comfortable with that. We know that God is not actually a father in the traditional sense, right? God did not, like, biologically procreate, right? Like, we know that. But the term God the Father is a beautiful metaphor to describe the relationship between God and us, between God and the world, between God and Jesus. In Scripture's various ways that it attempts to describe the divine, it not only presents God as the Father as a really wonderful metaphor, what it also presents to us and what we must note in order to get this big and robust view of who, who God is, is God as a mother. Scripture presents God as a mother. In Matthew, here's a couple of verses. In Matthew 23, 37, and in Luke 13, 34. So two different gospels are attesting to this. Um, God is described as a mother hen who is spreading her wings to protect her young. So we're using this metaphor of God as a mother to show this characteristic of God, that God pulls her young close to her and holds her young, protects her young. Um, Hosea 13.8, God is described as a mother bear who's been robbed of her cubs. And it describes the fact that she will attack and rip open those who took her cubs from her. So here we're seeing this, this metaphor of God as mother showing this aspect of God that God will go after and actively seek after her young when they've been taken from her. God's a mother who will destroy and rip open the things that try to harm her kids. Um, And then in Hosea 11, 3 through 4, and Isaiah 49, 15, both of these referred to God as a nursing mother, as a mother who is nursing, a mother feeding and providing like some sort of sustenance for her child. Scripture shows us and describes to us a God who is our mother, 
God's a mother hen. God is a mother bear. God is a mother providing sustenance and life through nourishment to her child. That is who God is. Um, I mentioned I'm a teacher. Um, my full-time job is being a teacher. In the school that I work for, it's um, this Greek Orthodox school. And I've said this before in sermons that Orthodox Christianity celebrates things way better than we do. They have bigger celebrations. Um, they have a much more, like, intense, in a sense, um, liturgical calendar that they follow. And so this season that we're in is the season of, of Pentecost. So it's the season after Easter leading up to the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after um, Easter. And, and the day of Pentecost celebrates when the Holy Spirit descended upon the disciples. So we're in this season right now, and because I'm a teacher there, I'm thinking about it way more often. And so I'm still reflecting on the cross. I'm still reflecting on Christ's death. I'm also reflecting on, on Christ's resurrection. Like every morning at prayers um, at school, we sing this liturgical piece that's literally called Christ is Risen. Every single morning, we are still in that space of singing it. And so the concept of the cross and Christ's death Christ's, uh, Christ's sacrifice, it's very much still uh, on my mind right now. It's in the minds of many people in our church world right now. And when thinking about this sermon, when thinking about God as a mother, there's just one, there's one example I want to just sit in a little bit longer than these others. And I think, and I want to do that because I think if we do that, we might get a different view of the cross we might get a different view of Christ's death. And perhaps it might be a new way for us to see God's sacrifice and God's love for us. We are shown in scripture a picture of God um, as a mother. And we are shown this in this final example through the view of God as a God who is bearing and birthing us and this new creation. Let's look at a couple examples of where we see this. Um, Deuteronomy 32.18 says that God is the rock that bore us. Right? Scripture draws this picture of us being birthed by God. Um, Isaiah 42.14 has another example. It says that God is a woman who is like actually, actively, in labor, and not just in labor, but like experiencing labor pains as she's bringing forth a new creation. So now God does not just give birth to us, but God is also like currently giving birth to like all of new creation. And then a final example in Job 38, 29, it says, from whose womb did the ice come forth? And who has given birth to the frost of heaven? Right, so in, in Job, and in Job, in this part, these are God's words, God's self. Like, God is saying this in response uh, to Job and to Joan's grievances right now. God is referring to her own womb in Scripture. Right, Scripture tells us that God is our mother who in her womb grows us, and from her she births us. And what this is also telling us is that God is a God who is willing to suffer for us. If you have ever dealt with or been close to any proximity 
of childbearing, you know that the entire experience is one of suffering and sacrifice. The whole experience is. Every step in the journey of bringing a child into this world is a place where women suffer and sacrifice. Even from like the very beginning of the journey, sacrifice and suffering begins, right? Conception is a place where for so many, there is sacrifice and struggle. And women go through pain and examinations and surgery and injections and there's a sacrifice of time and money and it takes so much. Even in the earliest stages of bearing a child, there is suffering present for so many. Then, if you are carrying a child, this is a place of so much sacrifice and suffering. It hurts. It is painful. Your whole body changes. Like I mentioned before, so many of my close friends are experiencing this right now, right? And they're nauseous for months, just throwing up. That's part of their day. They get up and they throw up and then they go on and then maybe they don't throw up and that's a good day, right? That is the one, yeah, the bar is to throw up once. That, that is insane. Like hearing a child does that. You have acid reflux because a child is pushing your organs up out of you, right? You develop sciatica and you have like nerve pain going down your body because you're carrying another human. Like it is painful. You're literally being depleted. What, is, what you are giving to yourself is being taken to feed and nourish and nurture another being. It is sucked from you in order to give to another. And all of that happens at all times, in every moment, of every second, of every day of pregnancy. And then we get to childbirth. That itself is suffering and it's sacrifice. And then we get to miscarriage. This heartbreakingly real part of motherhood and that is itself sacrifice and suffering. Every part of childbearing is a place of sacrifice and suffering. And that is the picture. That is who we are told that God is. If God bears all of new creation, like we are told God does, if God births us from her womb, if God goes through labor then God is a mother who was willingly being poked and prodded and examined and going through pain for the sake of a child's life. If those things are true, then God is a mother who is on bed rest because her blood pressure is so dangerously high that if she stands up, that is too much that she is giving to herself and her body cannot give enough. To her child. God is the mother who gets carted into an emergency C-section and then lies about her anesthesia and saying, yeah, it's taken because she knows if she doesn't, then her child will die because there won't be enough time. God is uh, the mother who miscarries and grieves and grieves and grieves the loss of her child and feels the physical pain of that inside of her own womb. God suffers and God sacrifices for us, for her children. 
This metaphor, this picture of God suffering as a woman during childbearing, it might be like a new, a weird image um, for you to like sit in, and I get that. Um, but I doubt that the idea that God suffers for us is new to us. I doubt that that's new. That's pretty um, integral to our Christian theology, to our, to our Christian um, faith. God's suffering and dying is integral to our faith system. Um, in this season of Pentecost, like I mentioned, many Christian traditions, right, we're still reflecting on the cross, reflecting on God's death. We're aware God died. So I don't think that we are surprised when I share with you that God is a God that suffers for us. I think we know that. We're not surprised. But the reason why I wanted to preach this is because what I think that this metaphor of God does is, I think that it invites us into an answer to the question of why is it that God suffers? If I were to ask why God died, why was God crucified, why did God have to suffer on the cross, many of our answers, I think, would be primarily that God suffered because we stink. I think that's a really common answer in evangelicalism. God suffered and God died because we are bad sinners and we've messed up. We just can't not mess up. And so we need someone to come and to fix it. We need someone to come and pay for what we've done because we can't do it ourselves. And this is not a wrong answer per se, but I believe that it, uh, I believe deeply it just, that's a limited answer. I think it's so limited. When our answer to why does God suffer, when that answer is because we stink, because we're the worst, our picture of God is one of a begrudging and exasperated figure who sighs and goes, what else do these humans need? They just keep messing up. There's an exasperation. There's a begrudging nature to the God who dies because we're bad. But church, um, that's not who God is. God is not begrudging and God is not exasperated. That's not how scriptures show God either. Instead, what we're shown is a God who is suffering like a woman in the process of childbearing. This metaphor from scripture shows us that God is suffering. God is giving herself, her very body is being taken from to nourish ours. God is weeping and mourning for the loss and she's groaning and wailing and excruciating labor pains. And she's doing it because she loves her children. God suffers because God loves you. And God will give of God's self to fight for your life and to fight for your wholeness and to fight for your presence here in the space, just like the mothers that they show in Scripture. Church, I hope that this picture of God does something convincing in your heart. It did for me. A couple years ago was the first time that I think this idea of God's love um, in this form was presented to me. And like I said, as a self-proclaimed mama's girl, it did something for me. Um, it made sense. I struggled for a while to really understand and feel what um, like a father's love looked like. 
when this love was presented to me, I was like, oh, I get that. I know that. And you're telling me that God loves me like that? It unlocks something in me. Um, and I just, I hope that that does that for something, someone here today. Um, church, you are loved by God like a mother who gives and hurts and breaks and loses and does it all out of unending and desperate, desperate love for her child. Um, As we close, I want to read our scripture for today again. And I want to hear it with ears that recognize it as that desperate pleading I'm willing to suffer and sacrifice for you. I'm willing, I'm not exasperated, but willing to do that for you. Let's read it one more time. Isaiah 54.10. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed. May everything in this world be gone, be taken, be upside down. May that happen. But, despite it, my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Let's pray. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about us, get coffee with a pastor, or visit us on a Sunday, then go to redemptionhou. And please know today that you are fully loved and fully accepted just the way you are. We hope to hear from you soon.